Welcome to this MTech Access podcast. At MTech Access, we offer a global market access service from strategy to implementation. This podcast has been converted from a live webinar. To learn more, please email info at mtechaccess.co.uk. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Hi, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us today for our live webinar, Digital Payer Value Communication Tools, How to Meet the Needs of Your Internal Stakeholders and Customers. So we've recently we've recently launched an updated version of our digital payer value communication tool demo. So today we'll be taking a closer look not only at how these types of tools feel and function, but more importantly, how we at MTech ensure that they're fit for purpose and ready for customer engagement. So as such, we'll be exploring some key questions and themes which reflect what we consider to be best practice when developing these tools. We also really hope to answer some of your own questions later on today, so please use the chat box to type your question. And if we don't have time to get to yours today, um, we'll be sure to follow up after the webinar. Um, a final note from me before we jump into our introductions and discussion for today. Um, the demo we're about to briefly showcase ahead of our discussion is available on our website under Demo Center. This is a browser version. Um, so please head over to there after our session today if you'd like the opportunity to sort of play around with the tool yourself. Um, so I bet you're all keen for us to get started. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce myself properly and then I'm going to invite each of my colleagues to do the same. So I'm Emily Mayer, I'm an associate consultant here at MTech Access and a big part of my role here is project management and as such I've worked alongside the teams here on the development of a number of these types of tools and this ranges from scoping and design at those earlier stages right the way through to certification and development. Hi everyone, I'm Lydia Crow. I'm a director at MTech Access. Uh, I've been working in market access for nearly 20 years now um, and I've focused on customer facing digital value communication tools for most of that time. Um, I've worked on lots of these tools over the years with a huge range of clients and products um, and it working in the capacity as a strategic advisor. So working to guide client and project teams and get the uh, tools through to, from conception through to uh, deployment. Hi everyone, I'm Anthony Bentley, but you'll notice the team refer to me as Bentley. I'm co-founder of MTech Access and director of health economics. Similar to Lydia, I've been in the industry for, for 20 years, but my focus has been on uh, modeling. So I've developed numerous technical cost effectiveness models for um, HTA reimbursement and hundreds of, of commercial models to support our clients. Hi everyone, I'm Rob Pitt, a senior developer on the digital team. Uh, I've been involved in the building of websites and various tools for Vivo and other CRM platforms for almost 10 years. Uh, I work closely with the other teams throughout any given project to provide the developer perspective, as well as using modern coding techniques to help ensure we deliver a great result. Hi everyone, I'm Ryan. I'm a senior designer on the ValueCom team here at MTech. Um, I've been designing iPad tools plus many other materials for about two years now. Um, but I've been working in the farm and healthcare space as a designer for around seven years. Um, basically, my role in the business is to make sure that everything we do is is on brand and it's designed to a high standard. So, um, in order that, I also bring a lot of UX and UI knowledge um, in order to help deliver great looking tools that also function very well for the end user and presenter. 
Great, thanks guys. Um, so now we've met the team, let's just recap on what we're going to focus on today. And that is how your tools can best meet the needs of three key groups. Um, the three groups that we're going to be looking at are of course the owner, for example, the market access manager or person commissioning the tool, the end user, for example, key account manager or other colleagues in field-based roles, and perhaps most importantly, the audience or decision maker. Um, so for example, the payer or the healthcare customer. Could you share some comments on why you think it's important to consider the perspectives and the needs of the three groups that we mentioned, the owner, the end user, and the intended audience when developing these local pair communication tools? Yeah, sure. I mean, we we are very, um, I, I guess, adamant that the success of these tools really depends on hitting uh, the needs of all three of those stakeholder types. So, of course, we want to align with our clients' commercial objectives, their personal and professional KPIs, how it fits in with the um, brand plan and the general commercial objectives for the product. So, so that's obviously very important for the clients that we're directly working with. Um, we know that these tools need to be valued by the end users so they actually get used as planned. It's all very well having a lovely flashy iPad tool, but if the account manager never actually uses it with a customer because they don't understand the content, they think it's too clunky, they think it's too complicated, then it won't be used. Um, and of course, whoever you're presenting it to, unless they um, unless they think that the tool is robust, that they understand what they're being presented, that they can really take in all the key information quite easily, um, it's not gonna have any impact on their decision-making and ultimately the product uptake, which of course is what these tools are all about. So. You know, I think really without ticking all three of those boxes, the tool is not going to achieve its purpose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and just to interject from a design point of view as well, it's, it's always really important to know who you're designing for in order to understand their needs. Um, so we use this kind of information to help inform our objectives on the project. For example, the need of a CAM is to have a tool um, to act as a conversation aid, as well as a tool that can really easily convey information data um, especially in a, a compelling and visual way. Um, obviously that helps kind of capture the attention and, and keep the interest of the person who, who is kind of being presented to or, or the end user. Um, obviously for the decision maker, their time is, is obviously very valuable. Um, they need data and information in such a concise way that it, it brings all of the important points to the surface without being too overwhelming. Um, and obviously the person commissioning the tool, they get to hand their team the, the resources they need in order to have these highly effective and valuable conversations with the peers and the end users as well. Yeah, great. Thanks both. That's a really great way to kick us off. And actually, it leads us really nicely into the focus of our discussion today. Um, so what I'm thinking is sort of as a project manager, my clients are the people commissioning these tools themselves, um, for example, market access managers. And I'm always, of course, very conscious of their needs and making sure that we deliver solutions that are going to meet those needs. Um, so how do we ensure that our tools align with their business and personal objectives? Um, I wonder, Bentley, if you might um, sort of kick, kick us off looking at this from a HE perspective. Of course, thanks, Emily. Um, our first task is to review the existing material that's already available for the product. A lot of work will have gone into sort of generating value stories and generating other content. We want to make sure we utilise that to its fullest extent. Typically, this might include um, looking at evidence reviews. There might be associated statistical analysis and supporting technical cost effectiveness models, for example. But from the beginning of the process, we'll be thinking about the end users and the audience. And so our job is to 
take that information, digest it and dissect it and determine how best to um, present a consistent version of the value story, but in a format that will be easy to communicate and to digest. Um, we'll liaise with our clients to ensure that we're using all the most relevant data sets available. And these will allow us to localize any modeling that we might want to present in the tool. Uh, and this could be as simple as sort of local population estimates, but it could be as detailed as practice level prescribing data. Ultimately, we want to ensure that the, the data, the calculations and the product story align with any other analysis and material that um, our clients might have already produced. Yeah, and I, I think, I mean, I guess we're, we're always conscious when we um, start a project like this about how can we really understand the objectives, whoever it is has come to us uh, asking for, for a tool or a project like this. Um, and so I think we find it's really important all the way through to make sure that our clients are really involved all the way throughout the process. And that goes right back to the initial conversation about you know, what are they trying to achieve? What, what are their needs? Having a very clear proposal that sets out what we're going to do with the project. Um, so we all understand what you know success looks like at the end of the project. Um, and then all the way through the project process, like a, a clear kickoff, having a staged process, starting off with a storyboard, making sure that all the, all the um, uh, stakeholders at the client side uh, are bought in and approve that storyboard before we then go on to developing content and then through to the digital conversion. So there's no, I suppose there's no surprises along the way for anybody. Um, and really regular sort of interactions with our clients. So we, we, we all know what's happening in the project process. Um, Bentley mentioned uh, sort of making sure we've got all the relevant information. So we'll you now ask clients to share with us things like sales aids, their commercial and brand strategy, HTA submissions, um, perhaps global materials, anything that they've already got so that we understand the messaging, the evidence, um, you know, how they're using clinical data, for example, because of, of course everything has to be um, consistent. Um, and, it, and it goes beyond just the people we're working with directly on generating the tool. We think about um, sign-off needs. So can we have signatories involved early on in the project process? Again, making sure that the, there's no sort of hurdles further down the line, if there's any content in there that they're ha not happy with. Um, and actually, one, I think one thing that works really well for us is we always try to start a, a project with a uh, we call it like an internal workshop. So getting together the, the, the team at the client side involving perhaps signatories, the brand team, as well as the market access team that we're working with um, to really workshop with them. What, what are their needs and priorities? What do they think might be the challenges for the product or the opportunities? Thinking about positioning. Um, what can work really nicely sometimes is actually just going around everybody and saying in one or two sentences, what do you think the, the value proposition is for the product? Like a kind of I suppose like an elevator pitch and it's quite a nice way to sort of get people thinking really clearly about the direction that the tool needs to go in. Um, and then I suppose the final thing is just working as a team. So the kind of people that um, are on the panel today will all be involved all the way through the project process. So the designer and the developer will, will be involved in the kickoff. So they really understand what the clients are trying to achieve as well, because it's much easier for them to, to then execute it uh, than if they're hearing it third hand from us. Yeah, definitely. That's that's great. Thank you both. And I guess from a digital and design perspective, um, how would you guys say that we ensure our tools are, are fit for purpose? And Rob, I'll come to you first. Thanks, Emily. Um, yeah, well, 
Uh, the person commissioning the work needs to know how well the tool is received and how much it's used in the field. Um, that's why, why they might want it integrated with CLM. Um, so with that in mind, uh, one of the most important considerations from a development point of view is that our tools and all the functionality we design works fully in the destination environment, uh, whether that's Viva CRM on an iPad or an Engage meeting uh, or another CLM system, uh, we've worked with quite a few between us, um, or uh, as a standalone app. Uh, having that familiarity is valuable when working with a client to understand exactly what their requirements are in terms of integration with their environment and producing analytics that are as useful as possible. Um, we're all fully certified Viva partners, so uh, we can always offer relevant, up-to-date advice on how tools work best within the Viva environment, um, as well as what analytics and reporting methods are available to them. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, and just to go back to a point that um, you made, Lydia, about how we get kind of the sales aid and existing materials from the clients very kind of early early stages in the project. Um, obviously, depending on the project, we do often have brand guidelines for our clients to work towards. Um, sometimes the tool might be corporate branding, sometimes it might be product branding. Um, so we kind of we always want to ensure that whatever we're designing, it, it is going to be on brand for each project. Um, that being said, sometimes we do. Um, design some tools where it might be product branding, but the resource and materials may be quite limited in, in terms of what we've got. Um, in scenarios like that, we would often design up a, a handful of com concepts, might be three or four different design concepts. Um, and we'd submit these to the clients and the, the client can pick their favorite and um, we can kind of work together in collaboration to refine whatever concept they've chosen. They, they might want um, like a mix of two concepts, for example. Um, but yeah, so we're never really limited in terms of kind of what the client can, can pass over and what they've already got in place. We can still always come up with ideas and, and suggestions um, based on the, the narrative of the tool and, and things like that as well. Great. Thanks, everyone. Um, I think that's something that has the potential to be a little bit overlooked when considering the needs of clients we work with directly is actually how the tools are going to be received by the end users. So people who are actually presenting the tools to the customers. Um, and as you said in the beginning, Lydia, if the account managers um, aren't happy with the tools, there's a real risk that they're not going to be used at all. Um, so how do we take this into account on the project process? And Ryan, I might come back to you actually and ask if you can share some of your initial thoughts on, on this one as well. Yeah, of course. Thanks, Emily. Um, so I think a huge consideration is balance. Um, we use a lot of visual cues and nods to get the balance between complex data and simplicity right. Um, the account managers can get to essential information quickly, yet still have the detail there for the, the referencing and credibility as well. Um, we use design hierarchy to create a cohesive style, um, and we can assign kind of certain looks to different elements to serve the user a simple tool, but still packs a punch. Examples of this might include um, like a style for graphs, a different style for um, different data and figures. And basically what happens is when these styles are used consistently, it really helps the end user follow along and understand kind of immediately what type of information is being presented through its style. Um, and since these tools are used as conversation aids, um, we always design with a narrative in mind. So each tool tells its own unique story. 
um, that's kind of always going to be applicable to the end user so that they can apply their own circumstances to it. Um, so obviously design plays a huge part in kind of user flow and information hierarchy in these tools. And we're kind of we're always working with clients to perfect and fine tune, even after they've been used in the field. Um, we often get feedback from CAMS, and we can kind of go back and change things, um, kind of once the product's already been launched and deployed. So we we keep that relationship going with the clients, and we can kind of always come back and 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 refine through collaboration if necessary. Cheers, Ryan. Um, yeah, we like to make sure uh, that before Ryan and his team works their magic. Uh, we provide a little digital team input at the design phase uh, so that we can consider user experience needs uh, specific to the destination platform. Uh, as standard though, we make sure all of our tools offer clear and intuitive navigation options so the end user can easily facilitate a tailored conversation. Um, so as you saw in the demo, you can jump between relevant sections with the nav bar as needed, very straightforward. Um, Many of the tools are designed for integration with the CRM uh, so that users can plan their calls and log usage of the tools against accounts, and that provides them with a reference for any future interactions. Uh, users can save scenarios tailored to the customers, uh, either beforehand or following their conversations, uh, and that can also facilitate a follow-up with the dynamic summary report, uh, again, as we demoed before. And that's sent directly from the tool of Vibra through email, as we saw, um, or in the standalone app, it will generate a PDF attachment um, for manual sending. Great, thank you both. Um, Lydia, can I come over to you, please? Um, yeah, so I, I guess this goes back again to how we sort of run the project. So ideally, um, we would like to have a member of um, the CAM team or whatever sort of uh, field-based team is involved in the project um, to get their opinion because they're the people of course who are going to be using the tools but they also know their customers the preferences of their customers the needs of the customers so they can really bring some really valuable insight um, as you've obviously seen in the demo and as uh, Ryan and Rob have touched on it's it's all really about that kind of clear concise messaging very efficient communication for those kind of very time-limited engagements um, but also flexible enough to sort all different to suit all different kinds of situations so depending on who you're talking to and the circumstances um, you can flex the way that you're using the tool so it, it's not a sort of a, a formulaic presentation um, I guess with the tools being easy to use there's quite a sort of a fast learning curve for the cams and we do support with um, during rollout we support with training for the account management teams we provide a, a very clear detailed briefing guide so by sort of running practice exercises and role playing and, and workshopping and things with the um, account managers we can actually get them really comfortable using the tool how they find certain pieces of information um, how they access references how they change assumptions so by the end of that they should feel very comfortable using it um, and actually what we found has been quite useful is um, scheduling like follow-up meetings once the tool's actually been launched and is that being out uh, used out there in the field to have sort of touch points with the client and perhaps a couple of representatives from um from the cam team to tell us how it's going how's it being received have they had any challenges 
um, perhaps they could share experiences of, well, one of my customers wanted to know this and this is how I use the tool to answer that question. And that's actually been a really useful exercise, both for us, but also for, for our client teams as well. We, we bring that learning into all the projects we work on right from the beginning. Um, we always have the end users in mind. Um, so even though we might start reviewing very technical material, we'll ensure that the final tool avoids using complicated jargon and, and health economic language like ISAs and qualies. And we know from experience that sometimes this can scare the end users and the audience. Um, we know that time with the audience can be really limited. And so we want to ensure that we're not overloading our tools with data. However, we don't want to lose the transparency or important detail. And so, as you have seen in the demo, we try and break down data into bite-sized chunks, often using layered, layers of information. Um, so hidden uh, information that we can access at the simple click of a button. And as Lydia noted, we always support the rollout of our tools with training um, to ensure that the end users feel comfortable with the story, but also the calculations. And we're always available to support the CAMS answering queries that might arise once the tool has been used um, out in the field. Great, thanks, Bentley, and, and the rest of the panel here. Um, so what we've done so far is explore how we work with our clients to create bespoke digital tools and the considerations that ensure that these are going to be simple and easy to use by field force teams. Um, but as we mentioned earlier, you know, arguably the most important stakeholder group is going to be the payers that are on the receiving end of these tools. Um, and Lydia, I know you mentioned earlier that these types of tools they really need to influence audience decision-making, otherwise they're not going to achieve their ultimate goal. Um, could you share some of your thoughts on steps that we ensure, steps that we take to ensure that we have the audience um, or the customer in mind right through project development? Yeah, and I, I guess we do have some uh, first-hand uh, insights. Obviously, we've worked on a lot of these tools, but um, also we've got, uh, in the UK, we've got a network of NHS associates. I think we've got over 90 people who have a variety of NHS roles that we work with on these projects. Um, and from discussing tools like this um, with those kinds of people, either in, in a project or, or outside projects, um, you know, we know that they spend very little time with industry representatives um, in a given week. I think, you know, it could be as little as 30 minutes to an hour in a week. So that obviously really doesn't allow for very lengthy, complicated presentations. Um, and actually we did ask a few um, of our associates ahead of this webinar, if they had any, I guess, advice for, for um, people on the webinar regarding these digital materials. And I think the message was really clear from all of them that they, they want the tools to be tailored to the audience. Um, and actually that's not just being able to edit um, default data and assumptions, that's through to thinking about, um, you know, de devolved nations. I think often uh, these tools can be de developed with um, the NHS in England in mind, and that doesn't always hit the mark when you're presenting to someone in Scotland, for example. Um, they want these tools to be very concise, very clear recommendations, clear call to action. Um, and of course, they've had, they have to be accurate and easy to follow. And I mean, these tools aren't going to get through sign off unless they're accurate and robust. But they they want to see the kind of the links through to national policy and the strategic direction of the NHS. And really, actually, what does it mean to them? So, you know, you're telling me about this this product or this unmet need, but what does it actually mean to me in my job? And and I think that's you know what we always try to to pull out in these tools. Um, 
you know, we've already talked about the kind of project approach that we, we work with our clients. We want to have someone from the um, CAM team involved. Um, but we also, um, as much as possible, scope and validate these tools with inputs from KOLs and payers. So, you know, we run strategy huddle at the beginning of a product of a project. Um, and that's not an ad board. We're not necessarily talking about the product or messaging or evidence. We're, we're thinking about in the context of the NHS now in this particular disease area you know what do you need from a new product how do you make decisions in this product area what what are your priorities and challenges um and we can bring that all the way through and we would use that i guess in combination with the what we get out of the internal workshop to really shape the project um but then once we have got draft materials reviewing those uh with kols and payers that could be you know, through uh, interviews, that could be a panel and an advisory board to actually get their feedback on it and check it's going in the right direction. Um, but then also internally, we've got our um, NHS insights and interactions team and, and everyone in that team has an NHS background. They're still involved in the NHS. So actually they they can advise on these uh, projects. Uh, you know, one, one of the members of our team um, worked in uh, account management and industry for many years so again she can bring that perspective as well so you know it's making sure i suppose that we we're not making any assumptions during the development of the of the tools we're always trying to get that kind of first-hand input that's great thanks lydia for sharing the, those examples um bentley i remember you mentioned earlier that we ensure that our tools aren't made complicated with things like technical jargon etc but what are, what other key elements um, do you think are important when considering the final audience? I think um, the flexibil uh, flexibility and transparency are key for, for audience confidence and, and just general credibility of the tool. We always ensure that the data we use is of the highest quality available and, and referenced accordingly. As Lydia said, we can support um, with all of the, the review processes and, and getting that material signed off. Uh, wherever possible, we look to use local real-world data sets to help the presentation resonate with the, the local audience. Um, however, we're conscious that the audience may still disagree with that data, um, and so we try to develop the tools in such a way that those key inputs can be edited to reflect the customer's sort of clinical practice and, and local experience to generate a truly bespoke and, more importantly, relevant analysis. We find that this um, this flexibility strengthens the credibility of the tools because once the the audience, the healthcare professionals or the payers can see that they can change the parameters and in some instances in a way that may not favour the product, it gives them the confidence that the tool isn't trying to pull the wool over their eyes and it helps gain uh, the buy-in on, on the product that's being presented. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Bentley. Um, so we, we've talked just now about the more technical content and considerations, um, but what can we do from a digital and design perspective and point of view to ensure the interactions between CAMs and customers are really pleasant and the tools are going to be impactful. Um, so Rob, I'll come to you first and then Ryan, if you could just add on from a design perspective, I think that would be really nice to share. Sure, um, so uh, our tools offer clear and intuitive interactivity options such as uh, inputs, drop downs, sliders, um, just so that a presentation can be tailored to the audience. And it gives them a clear picture of how the story that's being presented to them is actually relevant to their situation. Um, we build multi-channel tools uh, that can engage with a customer either face-to-face -face via an iPad um, or as has become far more prevalent over the last couple of years for reasons I'm sure you can all guess, 
uh, remotely via engage meetings or similar. Um, and we can also prepare self-led online versions of the tools um, so that our customers can access the information in their own time and in their preferred format. Yeah, thanks, Rob. And and just to come back to your point on kind of the simple activity as well, it's the same from a design point of view as well. It, it does come down to the simplicity of, of data and kind of the narrative in that as well. Um, for example, we use white space for our benefit to help um, people really easily digest information that's being presented. Um, and we kind of we pair that with nicely styled um, kind of bespoke charts and, and diagrams and figures. And this is all designed to the to the client's own brand identity or concept that um, we've kind of agreed between us early on in the, in, in the project. Um, so everything is on brand, it's legible, and it's also impactful. Um, I think one thing to keep in mind that we're a team of information designers and storytellers. It, the iPad is just kind of the vessel for this. So we've always got key design principles that are always kind of impact us and in motion to ensure that these tools are kind of of the highest standard and quality. Um, another thing to keep in mind is that these tools, they are conversation aids a lot of the time. Um, so they're never designed to be kind of too over the top or, or, or too flashy or, or salesy. Um, like you say, we keep it simple. We, we bring it kind of information and, and data led um, and we keep these tools kind of just there to facilitate like these highly effective and, and valuable conversations um, for the account manager and the end user as well. Perfect. Thanks, everyone. And um, yeah, big thanks to our panel here today, but also to our audience for, for listening in and joining us on our exploration of best practice and our own approach to developing these types of digital value communication tools. Uh, we have had a few questions come in and we've probably got time to get to a couple of these, but please do keep them coming in by typing any further questions into the chat box. Um, we'll endeavor to reply either if you've got time today or after the webinar itself via email. Um, so I've just seen we've got a first, we've got a really good first question here and that is, can you give examples of how you've responded to specific client needs with these tools? Um, sometimes we need creative answers. Um, Rob, I wonder if you might share some insights on that. Yeah, absolutely, I can keep this one off. Um, so yeah, the good thing about our tools is that they're bespoke. Yeah, anything's possible within region, within reasonable budget. Uh, we on the dev team, you know, we certainly never shy away from the challenge. Uh, we're happy to tackle any functionality requests that come in, um, but we'll also use our experience in building the tools to suggest options that the client could consider. Um, things like you know, more varied visualization options for their data, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, we've, we've worked on tools that feature you know, dynamic charts that can switch between many data sets and you know, tools with optimized for very large data sets, you know, months on end of data that, you know, rolling that you know, can give a, a really good picture of long-term trends and things. Um, we can also offer setup options, uh, we can show or hide screens or whole sections to enable a custom conversation. Um, we've, we've had tools in place that you can toggle between a whole sets of flows so that you know one tool can actually be used for more than one purpose. I think following on from that, one of the, the, the challenges posed to us again and again is how can we have a conversation 
with a, a budget impact tool that revolves around products that have confidential prices and mm-hmm. our, our dev team uh, a second to none they've created um several web companions for our tools that can be shared with the end uh, audience these are secure online versions of our models similar to the one on our demo site um, and, and they'd reflect the the model that was presented to that payer uh, or healthcare professional but in a simplified form so that the only piece of information they can edit is is the price the the, the end audience can then um sorry the cam would then send a link to that uh, web companion tool um, that would pre-populate that online version of the tool to reflect the conversation that the cam had had with the audience member uh, and then the the audience the payer the healthcare professional whoever it may be can then in the comfort of their own home or office enter those locally and commercially sensitive confidential prices to see the true budget impact mm. um yeah i think I, I guess i would just add that i suppose it goes back to what Rob was saying about the, the tools being bespoke. So obviously in the demo, what we saw was a fairly standard tool structure, a few introduction screens and a fairly um, simple budget impact analysis. But, you know, it's, it's not just about budget impact models. Um, it could be a, a pathway mapping tool. It could be a tool that looks at disease management metrics. So understanding unmet need rather than a promotional tool. Um, we're working uh, at the moment on a clinic capacity calculator. So, um, you know, it, they're not always necessarily sort of a budget impact model that's comparing a, a current and a future scenario. Sometimes you, you want these tools to be doing different things. They may be directly or indirectly promotional. Um, they may not even be, I suppose, an interactive element at all. So um, if you're developing a value proposition, we can still, um, I guess, tailor that to the audience by having uh, real world data that are, um, I guess, kind of peppered throughout the value proposition. So you can still choose a population and show those data, but it's not like an interactive calculator tool as such. It is still a value proposition. So, you know, there's lots of different ways to do this, I suppose. So, um, you know, it really goes back to sort of scoping out with the client at the beginning what what their needs are and what the best thing is to, to, to meet those needs, really. Great. Thanks, guys. Um, We've got another really good question. It's a bit of a broad question, but it's a good one. Um, And that is, what are the vital elements of a payer value proposition to our payers right now? Uh, I can probably pick up that one. Um, So I suppose it's, I guess it's not, you know, it's not one size fits all, um, I suppose. and, And this has always been the case that it's thinking about who is the audience, are there multiple audience types, what really matters to them, you know, linking back to what we were saying about um, making sure that the tool relates to uh, policy or decision-making criteria, what really matters to to the audience. Um, I suppose key considerations at the moment, I suppose the the main things are, obviously kind of recovery from the pandemic, waiting lists, um, how, how can we, um, you know, keep patients out of hospital? Um, and of course, I, I guess, uh, you know, particularly relevant to the NHS in England is, you know, the shift to integrated care and what that means. So I suppose, that, you know, how how those would be pulled out in something like a value proposition is, you know, thinking about sort of pathways of care it's not um discrete episodes of care it's thinking about the whole patient pathway and also the i guess it's not just the patient pathway it's also the the kind of funding pathways the funding flows 
Um, health inequalities is, um, you know, something that we're obviously talking about a lot at the moment, thinking about workforce capacity and sort of clearing that that backlog and those waiting lists. So I think those are the sort of key, I suppose the key topics that are really going to resonate with, um, you know, payers at the moment. So understanding how your value proposition can um, can, can fit in with those or solve, solve some of those issues will be really valuable. Definitely. Um, thanks for that, Lydia. And I think we've probably got time for one more question today, and it's, it's another good one. Um, and that's how do you manage the complex internal approval process for digital materials? And actually, if the panel don't mind, I can probably lead on that answer, having gone through the approval process many times myself. Um, but as we alluded to earlier, um, we work with signatories throughout the project. So we try and make sure that we don't, um, you know, the first time that medical are getting involved isn't towards the end of development. It's a little bit earlier on. So they get to look at the material and and um, and guide us on any changes or edits that might need to be made. So we like to work with those um, sorts of stakeholders throughout the project itself. Um, as you know, Rob and other um, my other colleagues have mentioned, we we have lots of experience um, in understanding the best way to demonstrate accuracy. So, for example, um, when it comes to calculations and large data sets, how to present these and how to present them in, in a meaningful way um, that is going to get through the approval process, obviously. Um, and we, we think the best approach is, is, as I said, to take signatories through materials, answer questions um, to make the review process smoother so we avoid not too much sort of back and forward between the two of us. So it's really just, you know, getting them involved early, um, taking them on the journey, making sure that, you know, they're that they're really clear on what the tool does, you know, how it's going to work, how it's going to be used. Um, but also, as you can imagine, which elements of the tools are going to be a bit more dynamic, are going to be calculations, because those are the bits that are um, that we're going to have to explain and, and get into the detail during the approval process. So, yeah, we've got lots of experience um, with approvals, but our sort of top tip is really just to get um, signatory teams involved throughout the project itself. Um, I guess from a practical perspective, Emily, we, um, you know, as much as we, we, we hate it, we also do things like the promo maps upload. So, you know, we, we kind of know how those systems work and, and, you know, the best way of getting through that. So taking the, um, you know, once we upload things, we take the signatory teams through what we've done so that we can, um, you know, answer any questions up front. Oh, definitely. And and I would just add um, to the programmat specifically, I think that it, it is a really useful tool in getting everybody's sort of comments and considerations all in one place. You know, it's super clear um, and things are signed off and we know, you know, which changes we still need to work on as well. So I think programmat is, is a good approval system that we have a lot of experience um, using. I've just seen where we've just gone past time. Um, so I think that's probably it for questions. But I just want to thank everybody um, in the audience for joining us today for this discussion. And, and thanks to my colleagues, the panel, for, for sharing some insights. We hope it's been um, helpful to you. And of course, you know, please continue to send through any questions. Or if you'd like any more information, then, then please do get in touch. Um, but that's, that's it from me. So thanks, everybody. And, and goodbye. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please do subscribe for future episodes.